Hey everyone, you are listening to the Divergent Conversations podcast. We are two neurodivergent mental health professionals in a neurotypical world. I'm Patrick Cassell. And I'm Dr. Neff. And during these episodes, we do talk about sensitive subjects, mental health, and there are some conversations that can certainly feel a bit overwhelming. So we do just want to use that disclosure and disclaimer before jumping in. And thanks for listening. Um, Patrick, you just asked if I could start it off and now I'm trying to remember the script of how we start, but no, maybe we don't, we don't need the script because okay. we already recorded it. Okay, sweet. Um, so here's a tell of how I am. We've recorded several episodes and this is the first one where I'm sitting. So to me, that's a tell, like, I know I'm not feeling well. Hmm. Yeah, um, you're kind of standing. Like usually I'm standing, I'm moving today. I'm like sitting, I have all the weight on me which means I'm also overheating. Do you ever do that where it's like you want weight, but then you're overheating? Yep. So I'll probably be like sweating through today's episode because I want the weight. <laughs> Megan's not feeling well, so let's give her a lot of credit for being here. <laughs> no, I want to, I um, I did something kind of mean to you today that I would have hated if it was the opposite. Um, I texted you and I was like, hey, can we skip recording? Because I'm not feeling well. And then... I was going to try to get some more sleep and I couldn't. And then I texted you and I was like, never mind, let's record. Which that sort of like schedule change. Um, once I'm like emotionally checked out of something, I'm like out. So I, I don't know. I'm just curious. Thanks for that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was um, emotionally checked out because I had a podcast before this that I was doing with someone else. And then I was like, oh, my day's done like i'm just gonna go eat lunch and then i don't look at my phone when i'm podcasting obviously and then like i looked at it and i was like oh shit they can record so um i wanted to because i've been away it helps us get back in a groove and like we're running out of episodes so i was like i'm just gonna switch my brain around and, and task switch and just feels at first a little disorienting you know because like you're like oh i was gonna go outside and yell at my dogs to come inside, figure that out, that whole situation out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you saw my text like five minutes before nine or 12 your time. So yeah, like this is a pivotal part about being autistic is difficulty with unexpected change or routine disruption. I know I experienced a lot of things around this. We haven't really talked about that before though. Like, um, yeah, do you like... I think I would have felt a surge of irritation. Are you irritated with me? <laughs> or no. maybe not with me, but with the routine change? Actually, I, I, in some instances, I think in situations like that, I probably would be irritated. I'm not irritated at all. I actually was like, because I don't have a lot to do today, um, the only two things on my schedule were to do this other podcast and then do this. So it, it actually doesn't feel that disruptive to me because I had already in my mind like committed to it. You know what I mean? So it wasn't that easy to switch back to a place where I was like, Oh, okay, we're doing this. So. Okay. Yeah. In general, like how, cause I also think this is different for like autistic ADHDers than pure autistic people like routine disruption, routine changes. Um, in general, like what has your experience around those things been? I do think it's challenging, you know, when you're 
kind of already you're assuming or you you're, you've committed that mental energy to something happening right and then or or participating in something or committing to something in general and then all of a sudden something switches or something comes up or someone cancels or whatever the case may be it's very challenging to then get back on track to say like okay i can just move on to the next thing i was supposed to do for me a lot of the times it looks like i end up falling into a place of like uh, nothingness, which is basically binge watching shows or doom scrolling on my phone. Like I can't actually then say, Oh, I have to also do this errand or do this thing. It's very challenging for me. I don't know about your own experience in that. Um, so wait, just so I'm tracking, like you collapse into doom scrolling when there is a routine disruption. Yeah. Yeah. So like, Mm. it's really hard for me to then say, okay, we're not doing this meeting. Now what do I do? I, it's hard oh, for me to pitch to... To something else. else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always been very challenging. Um, and I can get irritated for sure if something goes awry, gets canceled, whatever the case may be. So, uh, I mean, honestly, that happens with travel constantly where flights mm-hmm. get delayed, canceled, things get moved around. And it's very hard for me to then get back into a place mentally where... I feel regulated. I will just get very, very irritated very easily. Yeah. Yeah. No, same. And I think I, this is one of the sources I see of internalized shame for a lot of autistic people. Um, and I, myself included, like before I knew I was autistic, little things like change. And it, it could be a subtle change to plan. Like maybe a friend invites another friend to a social event but I didn't know that that other person was going to be there. Um, So it could also be like little social differences of expectations. And I would get so irritated, but I'm a people pleaser, right? So I would like not, I would do my best not to show it. So it would just simmer. And then a narrative would start around like, why are you frustrated by this? This is so silly. This is so petty. This is no big deal. Um, so, th- so then the whole shame narrative around why am I so upset by something so small kicks in. And I see that a lot with autistic people where like little changes to routine can cause big emotions and irritation, but it's like our rational mind knows that's not rational. So, so then we can get pretty down on ourselves for having those emotions, um, especially before we understand that it's part of being autistic and it actually makes sense. So when that's happening to you, like, you know, you're going out with a friend and then all of a sudden so-and-so is also there and you're having that disruption and you're, you're saying, I, I'm a people pleaser, so I'm going to go along with this. What's happening mm-hmm. like in the moment for you while you're there? Are you kind of checked out from this? Yeah. 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 I think my way of responding is kind of dis- dissociating, a lo- like low grade dissociating. So it's, I'm checked out. And then that's what I call my, my if I can say the word, plexiglass, plexiglass. Oh How do you say you that word? Right, the first time, plexiglass. Yeah, plexiglass moments of like I'll be there, but I won't be there. Like I won't emotionally be there, and I'll be like, why can't I get into this experience? Why can't I be here? Why can't I get out of my head? And so, in those are the situations, yeah, where it's I'm there, but I'm not there. I'm not there emotionally. I'm not there. Like, I don't feel present. Does it ever come out where, like, 
maybe you become short in your responses or kind of like the irritation or frustration shows through the interaction? Like probably not with friends, but with maybe with family, like people I feel a little bit closest to, or I am thinking, you know, there was, there was a group project I did back in my doctoral program and there were some, it, it I didn't, I really didn't like this project because it involved like interviewing a family. It was a family therapy class, but like, that means you had to ask a family to like do something that what I, I don't like making social asks of people. I think because I don't like when I, people make social asks of me. Um, so it was a friend of mine, the family and I, and we were interviewing them and the person I was going to interview with them, like the co-interview swapped, we we're a group of three. And they decided to swap places. And I like had all kinds of feelings around that. And I think I was trying to make some logical argument for why it shouldn't be swapped. So that'd be an example where like, I think I behaved low-key irrationally and was way more upset than made sense by the swap of like who was going with me to interview the family. Um, and it was because it was an unexpected change. And so that would be that would be the other thing. I think okay, I'm I'm thinking on the spot here. When I would become irritated by an unexpected change, I would try to figure out why it made sense I was irritated and I, it's like I would come up with reasons to justify my irritation, if that makes sense. Yeah. Then I'd be yeah. It's almost like um a way to kind of soothe yourself too, right? To like mm -hmm. give yourself permission to feel the way that you're feeling. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I know. And then can look like looking for things in the other person to be upset by. Right. Yeah. That's, that's really true. I know when I've been in social situations, like kind of like what you're describing, I will also have that plexiglass like moment um, where I will basically be non-existent. It'll like in physical form, I'm certainly sitting there. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, I'm not contributing to the conversation. If I am, it's like very much from a distance or like disconnected mm -hmm. from it and not really feeling involved in it or, and then trying to figure out ways to leave it. Um, and then you are, like you said, having that internal dialogue, trying to figure out like why you're feeling the way that you're feeling and almost, yeah, absolutely shaming and beating yourself up for it. And just being like, what is, why are you so upset by something so insignificant? And trying to figure out the why behind that as we we so often try to do is yeah. it's really a frustrating experience because you're almost trying to talk yourself out of feeling the way that you're feeling but you can't get to that place exactly you just kind of get back to a place of like mm -hmm. regulation and then all of a sudden everything is out of whack and you almost beat the hell out of yourself mentally because it feels like it's something so small that caused such mm -hmm. a major disruption well, and it can be small, like it, 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 like what I did to you this morning, if that happened where, and partly for me, I feel a lot of relief when things get canceled. I think that's my demand avoidance. So if someone canceled on me and then they were like, just kidding, I can meet like that. Yeah. That's to most people that's small, but like that would actually cause, I don't want to say significant irritation. Cause again, I don't think the person would see it, but it would cause irritation. And then I would do all of the things to talk myself down. And then I'd be irritated that I was irritated, like that secondary <laughs> emotion. Um, so yeah, it can be really small things that cause these big 
emotional spikes. Um, that's this is one of the places that I think identification and diagnosis is so helpful. Like this, I see be a a big aha moment for a lot of people. I think for anyone, it's helpful to know why we're feeling what we're feeling. I think especially for autistic people, it's really important. It it helps, um, you know, there's all these cheesy things in psychology, but they're not cheesy because they're also like really true, like name it to tame it or name it to contain it. Like when we have a name for something, um, it's more contained. And so this is where I call it free floating anxiety, like free floating routine disruption anxiety. Um, and I often find with people that I'm working with, if they're anxious and they don't understand why, and we kind of start exploring, we can typically trace it back to some sort of routine disruption. And just having that language of free floating, like anxiety from routine disruption, I know for me has been really helpful the last couple of years. Yeah, I think you're you're absolutely right. And I do think that's why diagnosis is so important in so many ways, because it allows you to almost give language to something that you're searching for. And it mm-hmm. allows you to have clarity into a why. And I think so often, like for deep thinkers and for a lot of autistic people, like who are questioning everything and trying to figure out the meaning of everything, it gives some uh, relief in a way to say like, okay, this is why. That doesn't always change what's happening behind the scenes, but at least it gives you some comfort or understanding into this is why, like I, okay, I'm, I'm losing myself in what I'm trying to say. I think for myself. Like that happens for autistic ADHDers. <laughs> I'm like, for ourselves, like we've talked about this, being mental health professionals gives us a different lens than a lot of people into our own inner world, mm-hmm. which is unique. And I think for myself, like questioning the why as it's happening and then mm-hmm. associating it to being like, oh, it's because I'm autistic a lot of the times is actually like it doesn't solve how I'm feeling or anything like that. But it gives me some understanding on a different level that I didn't have before because it almost is like permission to be like, oh, mm-hmm. like I'm feeling the way I'm feeling because I'm autistic. That's it's giving me permission to feel the way I'm feeling in a lot of uh, different ways. I love that. Someone needs to work that into a hashtag, like diagnose, diagnosing autism, like permission to feel the way you're feeling and ADHD. Um, it's interesting. I noticed we, you and I talk a lot more about autism than ADHD on this podcast. Um, just mind melded on that for sure. Cause that's exactly what I was just thinking. as yeah. We were talking. yeah. Um, but absolutely. I do the same thing of now I'm able to be like, oh, that's like, that's my autism or that's my ADHD. Yeah. Whereas before what I was left with is character-based labels. Like I'm, I'm messy or I'm, I'm li- uh, actually lazy. Wasn't, that's not been one for me, but like, I'm, I'm too much or I'm and definitely some of my self-talk was, and a lot of these are words that wouldn't be appropriate, but I'm just sharing my self-talk. Like you're an idiot or you're incompetent, like a lot of really negative judgments I was making about myself that I now have a different framework for. Um, It's actually interesting, just yesterday. So I have like three sets of AirPods because I use them all the time for my work and then I lose them all the time because of my ADHD. And I I was going into an afternoon of sessions and I was looking for one of my three sets of AirPods. I've actually lost most of them by now. And I did my find my phone and it was like the 
most recent location was a park that I'd been to with my son over the weekend playing tennis, um, which made me realize, I realized, oh, they're in a vest jacket. I'm like walking you through the process of finding my AirPods. What is happening? <laughs> Anyways, I had washed them because I put them in a vest when I was playing tennis and I washed them. And either scenario was equally likely that I would have lost them or I would have washed them. And and my spouse, he was like, do you want me to order you a few other pairs? And I was like, yes, thank you. It was really interesting. He was like, you know, a couple of years ago, this sort of thing like would have really irritated me. And now I'm just like, yep, that's, that's her brain. That's, and, and we, we've had probably like 10 interactions like that, especially as we're moving right now of where I've lost things or misplaced things or broken things where he's also able to reflect how earlier in our marriage that would have caused him a lot of um, emotion. And, and now he, he's able to see it's part of how my brain works. That's such a great perspective um from both sides like it sounds like for you it's almost like permission or acceptance of oh that's my adhd i lost them again and that's that's my reality and for him it's like this is how megan's brain works and this is going to happen and i I think that's so interesting as you learn more about yourself as you learn more about your neurodivergence it also helps your neurotypical wait Mm -hmm. yeah he's like it's weird all my kids are very neurodivergent. I'm very neurodivergent. And like, we refer to him as like the boring neurotypical, like, and, and we're like, oh, you poor thing. Like you don't have any fun flavors with you. Right. And he's like, yeah. And I've also never lost my AirPods. So he also here. like, he, and okay, sorry, can I diverge? And then we'll go back to and I always diverge. To, someone asked me this and I was like, oh my gosh, I should add this to my, like, you know how sometimes especially in um, training, we like list our privilege identities as a way of thinking through our privileges. Like I should list as a privileged identity that I'm married to someone with really good executive functioning skills. Um, Cause, and someone asked me that they were like, do you, cause they were wondering how I'm as productive as I am. And they're like, is it okay if I ask like, um, does your, I think they asked like, is your partner or typical? And it was a really interesting aha moment of they are, and I borrow his executive function all the time. That's been a joke long before we realized I was autistic ADHD was how much I borrowed his executive functioning. And, and the kids will say it like, if dad died, we'd fall apart. And it's kind of true. <laughs> like shout out to dad. Yep. <laughs> this is, <laughs> this is going to be the type of episode today is, um, so that's here's an interesting thing for me that I'm realizing as we're processing what's happening right now. When my executive functioning is diminished, because I'm usually the one who is like orderly and structured and like mm-hmm. trying to put things back, my brain cannot do that. Where I'm like, wait, what is happening? Um, it's almost like this fugue state where I just know that I'm running on very little sleep and jet lag and travel transition. So my brain is just not functioning as optimally as I would like it to. And I notice how much effort it takes to then do A, B, C, D, and E in comparison mm-hmm. to where like most of the time, some of these like or uh, structuring and, and conversation and task switching are actually quite easy for me. So you're feeling the executive functioning low today? Yeah, I didn't sleep 
not last night, the night before, like woke up at 4 a.m. in complete overwhelm, panic. Wait, was this after you got home that you woke yeah. up at 4 a.m. in panic? Yeah, yeah. Uh, panic attack slash like meltdown while laying in bed trying to figure out how to get myself back to sleep. Um, was the panic attack because you weren't sleeping or? No, it was all uh, existential crisis slash like, what am I doing with my life? Um, nothing is successful. Everything is about to crumble mentality. It's, Wait. Uh, yeah, there's no rationale there. Yeah, it's, I was. Yeah, I it, didn't know you were prone to existential crisis crises. I feel like I am in existential crises every moment of every day. I think that is like my natural state is questioning my purpose and what I'm doing and does it feel mm -hmm. fulfilling and mm -hmm. do I, is everything about to collapse? Mm -hmm. um, then I start thinking of my brain is diverging a lot right now. Then I start thinking about like death and dying and like shortness on the planet. It's just yeah. really yeah. intensifies, which I notice like when I say my brain is about to diverge and like this is all happening. I'm much more in my ADHD state right now than my autistic self. So it's very interesting for me. Is your existential self like more connected to one of those parts? Hmm. That is a good question. I think that my existential self is connected more to the ADHD side. I really huh. think that it's like about the, the creativity and the romanticizing and like yeah. the and then when that's that part is not feeling fulfillment or it's feeling like things are not in alignment, everything starts to feel very fragmented mm -hmm. and disjointed and falls apart. Um, so I ended up at a coffee shop yesterday at 7 a.m. doing work so I could satisfy my autistic side of crossing things off lists and being like, <laughs> done, done, done. And I had three coffees by 8 a.m. And I was like, Ooh. oh, my fucking God, today is going to be a nightmare. Um. Yeah. So this is kind of different than existential crises. I definitely have those too. But when you talked about the ADHD self, it reminded me of it. Um, I don't know if I've shared this on this podcast before, but I often talk about it as the Goldilocks of stimulus. And I, f I feel this so deeply, like it's ice thin. Like if I'm under, okay, if I'm overstimulated, which I am a lot, it's too much. But if I'm understimulated, I'm really discontent. And if I look back to the times of my life where I've had like just intense discontentment and some of the questioning you're describing of like, what am I doing with my life? Is it meaningful? What new like trip can I plan or can I plan another move? It's when I'm understimulated. Yeah. And I think that is one of the pain pieces of being an autistic ADHD or particularly is. Yeah, like I'm picturing just like a thin sheet of ice, which is our ideal window window of stimulus. And it's it's a very, I would imagine for a lot of us, it's a very narrow window when we're in our ideal stimulus. With being understimmed for the ADHD side and how much disruption that causes the autistic side. And it's so challenging. It feels like this tug of war constantly of like, understimmed versus overstimmed and uh trying to desperately find that thin sheet of ice that you seemingly only have access to like one hour of your life every mm -hmm. every month um 
that might be an exaggeration, but that's often how it feels. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why hyper-focus feels so good to me yeah. is I'm typically hyper-focused with a weighted blanket on my lap at home. Like my environment is sensory soothing. And then the creativity of creating something is typically enough stimulus for me. Yeah. Yeah. That So that for you is like that perfection, that that zone where it just feels like this is as comfortable as I can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I so often am seeking that, you know, and I don't know. Sorry, my basset hound is like laying on my cord about to rip my sound system out, but and no care in the world about how that was feeling to her. Um, yeah, I so often am seeking that. And I think that's really a struggle for me of uh, feeling like, um, where can I really feel comfortable? Where do mm-hmm. I feel comfortable? And I do feel comfortable, like you're mentioning, when I'm in creation mode, when I'm in hyper-focus mode, that is a comfort place for me. And I think so often I'm like trying to force myself back to that place when I can't access it. And mm-hmm. that's where things get really, really chaotic and disrupted. When you can't access creativity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that's when, and I know we're going to do an episode on it and we keep saying that. So we probably should do an episode like substances. I think that's when we're really vulnerable to substances of like the liquid dopamine or when we don't have access to creativity, looking for, um, like that, I would call it faux ideal stimuli, faux ideal stimulus window, um, through chemicals and substances. All right, y'all. This is us holding ourselves accountable that we are going to do an episode on st- on substances um, because I think it's just so so important. Um, it just plays a you know has a major impact on my life still to this day, where mm-hmm. I unfortunately still so often have to rely on alcohol for so many things and caffeine too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I I think that is what I was feeling and experiencing. Um, now my basset hound just got up and knocked my garbage over and is just yawning like she didn't do anything. Just a clumsy, like large mammal. Um, and so, but I, I do think that was a struggle. I think I've come out of that. I have to, you know, what ended up happening, if I can walk you through this process at 4 a.m., was mm-hmm. that I had to then start putting, I was feeling very overwhelmed by all the to-dos as well of like mm-hmm. the, different, the different segments of my life so I had to really compartmentalize because I was feeling like I was going to lose track of everything. And what I had to do was start making to-do lists um, for my group practice, for my other business, for my podcast, for my retreats coming up, for something else. So I had to start putting everything in its place to soothe my brain because my brain was so um, overwhelmed at that point where I was just really struggling. And I I mean, yeah, it, those days are challenging. They're thankfully not, they're few and far between, but those days are challenging. Yeah. Yeah. And to-do lists are so containing. Like in a middle school and high school, I'd sit in class, not paying attention, making to-do lists. Right. Um, just to, or- yeah, to organize the chaos. And you I actually had this thought about you this week, Patrick. Like people tell me I do a lot and it's true I do, but like, I don't think I do nearly as much like, yeah, I honestly don't understand how you do it between the podcast and the retreats and like owning a whole group practice. I could never, could never do that. Um, 
Yeah, you have a lot on your plate. Thanks. I think one, thank God I have good support in those businesses. And two, I don't have kids, you know, so I, I give you credit too, because so often we, we often overlook, like people will say that to me, how do you do so much? How do you create so much? How do you, you know, and I'm like, well, I don't have any children. I don't have anything to do. I'm just, I'm just like working, you know, like if I'm not playing soccer or socializing, I'm just working. So it, it's a good and bad thing. Um, I think my capacity can often get me into trouble because it's like, okay, in one instance, when you're feeling really creative and you're feeling really hyper-focused and you're feeling really energized, my capacity is a, a like a, a massive, massive asset for me. But the flip <laughs> side of that, of having that capacity is that now you have all of these things to that maintain. can unravel or that you have to maintain or that you have to yeah. do for the week. And yeah, I've created that for myself. It's yeah. torturous at times. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this on your, this might've been one of our first conversations on private practice podcast, like how our ADHD parts will create projects and then like our autistic part will have to maintain. Um, I've been feeling that. So I, okay. Another episode we should do at some point is like health and autism. So I, again, diverging here. Um, I got COVID in 2020, like March of 2020, the month interrupted. And my autistic child and I got long COVID and the two non-autistic people in our family did not. And I'm seeing that long COVID is a lot more common among autistic people. Um, This spring, pretty sure we got the newest variant. We were testing negative, but like it was, I'm pretty sure it was COVID. And then my, my child and my long COVID has come back. So I think the last like six or seven episodes we've recorded, I've been sick. Um, so I'm feeling that right now of like, I have a, I've committed to making a workbook once a month. I have, I'm, I'm writing a book in four months for Simon and Schuster, which I'll maybe talk about at some point. So I'm in the middle of like a really fast manuscript. We're moving and I'm just I'm feeling that right now. Like I don't have any energy reserves to give, but I've committed to all these things. And and for the, for me, it's less about ADHD autism. I think it's more about the health stuff that's come up for me. Because um, usually summer is my most productive time of year, and so now it's like I feel like it's getting robbed by long COVID. But which is a thing that I imagine brings up some emotion too of like feeling robbed. I also can relate to the summer being very productive for me and in more ways than one, not just professionally, just, I feel like I'm my best self in the summer and the fall. And I feel like I'm almost hibernating the rest of the year. Yeah. Recharging, you know, like, and just trying to replenish. It's really hard when, you know, there's nothing to pull from. And you also didn't mention that you, also see clients and do assessments and you know you you have a lot I have put assessments on pause till I get healthy um because that that's a big lift um but yeah I mean there there's a lot yeah I I found myself like just kind of trying to do bare minimum um which doesn't feel great to me but there there's seasons where that's all you can do I think that's what I'm experiencing right now is that it may, to the outside world, feel like I'm doing a lot. But for me, it feels like bare minimuming because mm-hmm. of 
heart surgery in October, I changed my life around pretty drastically. So I think I'm at that point now where my energy is coming back, but I'm not doing anything with it. Or at least I feel like I'm not doing anything with it. Apart from like resting in between retreats, like recharging mm -hmm. every two months for six weeks or whatever to be able to do another one. And then I'm like, my rational brain's like, but you are doing something. You're resting. You're like recharging. You're, you know, doing whatever. But I just feel like I need, that's what I've been feeling. I need something to be working on. And that's what's missing in my life at the moment. And does it feel connected to meaning? Like you need something meaningful to be working on? Yeah, it has to be meaningful. It can't just be like a task that I have to do. Like, so I think you can't force that. That's the struggle is like, I can't force it. I keep trying to find it, but, but wait. Let me diverge again. This is meaningful. What you and I, I are doing is meaningful. Say, I was literally just going to say that like when we decided to start this, we were both so busy and we we're like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> and we were both looking for meaning. We were yep. both like, I wanted an avenue where I was more personal than I am on like Instagram and my website. You were looking to dive more specifically into autism, ADHD stuff. Like, so yeah, I was just associating back to one of our first conversations about like let's do this because it sounds like a really meaningful project yeah thank you for reminding me of that and i was thinking about that we're on you know we've been apart for a couple of weeks from for me traveling and not connecting via uh podcasting but we're still like attuned which is cool because i think that's what we were seeking like are we going to find our rhythm are we going to find our balance um but you're right this is super meaningful um and the feedback has been phenomenal. And maybe we'll do an episode where we explicitly talk about some of the feedback we've received and some of the things that y'all want us to talk about too, because I think that um, we have a lot of good topics in store and we have a lot of good topics on the list. It's just, you know, we have these topics and then we get together and we just start talking <laughs> in true neurodivergent fashion. We don't end up talking about them or discussing them. So we will get to them. We promise. Maybe. I don't know if we promise that. Do you feel, so this is one of the first, I mean, I think we've recorded once or twice since this was live, but do you feel more pressure? Um, Like seeing the feedback, seeing how many downloads there are, do you feel more pressure when we come into this space now and hit record? Because I remember like the first eight we recorded, I like forgot it was a podcast. I was like, I'm going to have tea with my friend Patrick and have an interesting conversation. That, you know, now thousands of people get to listen to. Damn, I wasn't thinking about that until right now. Yeah, <laughs> right? I <think> so. <laughs> probably. I mean, I, yes and no. Like, I feel pressure to continue to create, but I feel it for a, like a, a good reason because I think what we're doing is valuable and people are getting a lot out of it. So that feels like good pressure. I think if we had sponsorship in place, that would feel like a different type of pressure where mm -hmm. you're like, because my other podcast has sponsorship in place and I do feel pressure to have constant episodes coming out because you can't really skip a week or two when you've committed to a contract of like 52 episodes in a year. So I don't feel that pressure here. I feel the pressure of knowing that 15,000 people have listened to this podcast in less than two months and just the fact that that means something. like. I think that feels like a good pressure, but it also feels like a lot of weight and responsibility sometimes. Mm -hmm. What mm -hmm. about you? Um, 
I may, yeah, I think maybe a little bit of like pressure to say something profound in each episode or to like have a cohesive conversation, even though I think a lot of the feedback we're getting is like, oh my goodness, this is like the kinds of conversations I have. So there's probably something to the divergent conversations we have that um, is actually quite helpful. But uh, yeah, I think a little bit um, to like have it be some really meaningful, poignant conversation. And reality is like all human conversations, the conversations we have don't always be like these super aha, meaningful pieces. Yeah. And I want them to naturally manifest instead of trying to force them to. So if there is a topic we're talking about and then we diverge from it, I think that's meaningful in a lot of ways because the goal with this was to highlight and showcase like in real time what autistic ADHD brains and communication are often doing and how we're experiencing in the moment examples. So I think that that's, you know, that is poignant in itself. Um, yeah. So <laughs> sorry. You're trying to wrap it. Like, is your brain right now like, okay, we've got a lot of weaves out here. We've talked yeah. about existentialism. We've talked about like work and fatigue and sickness. We've talked about routine disruption. Yep. <laughs> is there pressure to like, let's wrap it up in a nice tidy bow? I, I think that's just my own pressure of like feeling like, are we at the end without asking, are we at the end? Um, you can always just ask. I know one day, Megan, one day. I, I do think that I think we've talked about a lot of good stuff today. And I think given the, that you're not feeling well and uh, I am jet lagged, this feels pretty good to me. And I think my brain is now vacant. So <laughs> can I share one silly story before we go? So absolutely. I think this is an ADHD dyslexia thing, but there's so many words that like I've just been saying my whole life that are just flat out wrong. So I just found out like a month ago, my husband and daughter went to England and came back and I asked them if they were jet lagged and I always thought it was jet lag <laughs> and they were like, no, it's jet lag. And like my nine-year-old was explaining this to me. I was like, no, it's jet lag. And they and my my son was like, how did you think it was like, how does that make sense? Like, how did you think it was jet lag? It's lag. And like, and I don't know why that made sense for me, probably in the same way that like I thought for years hat hair was cat hair. And we were like, oh, you have hat hair. I was like, so I would tell people like, oh, you have cat hair. Um, so, anyways, when you say jet lag. It's just a fun reminder that me and words have a fun relationship. Megan and words do have a fun relationship. Um, Which I've been realizing as I'm listening to this podcast back. I think I, I told you this, like when you were using the word. Plastophobic. Yeah, yeah. Wait, how do you actually say that word? As long as I'm accurate in saying like, are you saying claustrophobic? Uh, yeah, like, claustrophobic. <laughs> I think someone asked us on our Instagram page. Yeah, too. someone was like, because their voice, like their voice memo wasn't picking it up. They're like, what is this word you're saying? Because my like my voice translator won't pick it up. So how do you say that word? Claustrophobic. <laughs> that just sounds gross to me. Like I really prefer claustrophobic. So when you're saying claustrophobic, claustrophobic, I legit 
in my head, I thought, I think what Megan means is claustrophobic, but I don't want to be rude and say, Megan, are you saying a completely different word? And for a second, I thought, I have to look up the definition of claustrophobic and see if there is a word and if it means what she's saying, because I am now believing that this is a different word and term. Mm-hmm. So this was uh, my friend at seminary and I went to Princeton seminary. So, you know, pretty like it, it, Ivy League. So pretty smart people. And one thing she told me was that I love, she was like, you're really smart. But then when you talk in class, you'll say these words and, and people will like, because you sound smart, people will like believe you, but the words don't make sense. <laughs> and I think because I speak with confidence and because generally I know what I'm talking about. Then when I totally misuse a word, people are like, oh, maybe that is a real word. It's no, like it's, it's not, it's just me and my relationship. Or like create some social media graphics of Megan's, um, <laughs> Megan's words that she's used in this podcast or oh just in gosh. life that come up pretty regularly. There's <laughs> a lot. I like that you can laugh at it, you know, and, and just own it. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. That's definitely my, what was happening for me. I was just sitting there like, what the hell is she talking about? I don't know. Maybe this is, maybe she's, I mean, then you convinced me that I, they, that was the word. So I just never, well, I was using it. it so confidently. Cause in my mind, that is how you say it. <laughs> oh. All right. Y'all, if you are still, if you're still with us, uh, we appreciate it and <laughs> hope you can get something out of today. And just the realization that this is what a lot of days look like and feel like and are this is how they're experienced <laughs> by um two folks that are neurodivergent so we appreciate you listening and to everyone listening there are new episodes of the divergent conversations podcast out every single friday on all major platforms and youtube and you can like download subscribe and share and we really appreciate your support and goodbye And now, pause for a word from our sponsors. From new patients faced with an empty lobby and no idea where to find their therapist, to clinicians with a session running overtime and the doorbell ringing, some of the most anxiety-ridden moments of a therapy appointment happen before a session even starts. This episode's sponsor, The Receptionist for iPad, helps you tackle some of that pre-appointment apprehension and anxiety. The Receptionist for iPad is an easy-to-use digital client check-in system that helps your visitors check in securely to their appointments and notify their practitioners of their arrival via SMS, email, or your preferred channel. No more confusion, endless lobby checking, or having clients sign in on paper logbooks. It can even help you upgrade and update your demographic information for your clients as well and even validate parking. Start a 14-day free trial of The Receptionist for iPad by going to thereceptionist.com slash private practice. Make sure to start your trial with that link and you'll also get your first month free if you decide to sign up.